with your help. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Today we hear the beginning of a movement, the wonderful, powerful story of Passover that leads to the Exodus, the leaving of the enslaved Hebrews into the land of promise. It's a story that begins that sense that the people of God are to be a people of movement. You may have picked this up if you ever went to, uh, to church as a child, or maybe you're picking it up for the first time today, that story of the people surrounding, people of God surrounding the city of Jericho and inserting it and walking around it seven times in movement until after a loud uh, cry and a sounding of the lamb's roar, the walls of the city fall down. There's the movement of the people of God out of their uh, land of promise in exile and back home again, all reverberating with that sense of the initial call to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob, that they might go. If there's a summary of the theme, one of the themes of the Hebrew Bible of the Old Testament might be this, in the beginning, God said, go. But I don't mean that if you have a child in your arms, God said stay, but feel at liberty to do as you wish. Um, it's not a surprise then that the presiding bishop, soon to be outgoing presiding bishop, and if that's a strange word to you, that's simply the head of this denomination, uh, the spiritual leader of the Episcopal Church, Michael Curry, has talked about Episcopalians being the, the Episcopal branch of the Jesus movement, sharing with the world God's loving and liberating and life-giving way of Jesus, talking about God's dream for the world instead of the sometimes nightmare that it can be for many people. So, for those being baptized this morning, for their families, for all of us renewing our baptismal covenant, welcome or welcome back to the movement. It's perhaps, though, fair for me to offer you a whole picture and something of a disclaimer. If you're familiar with people that go on ultra marathons or really long runs, and I'm thinking of runs at about eight or nine or ten hours, there's something called ultra-realism, which sounds like it's the latest self-help strategy to lead a successful life, but it's a real thing. Ultra-realism. And if you're on hour seven of a race, Fooling yourself that you're near the finish line won't help you. Imagining that you are top of the, the, the head of the, the pack won't help you. Imagining that you have perhaps more energy than you do. The only way to successfully push through a long-distance run is to be ultra-realistic. It makes me think of this actually kind of delightful story of a runner, a Scottish runner, I'm not saying this because I'm English and she's Scottish, but it's a Scottish runner who finished third in a, in a race and traveled about seven and a half, ran about seven and a half hours, only to be stripped of her medal when they discovered via her GPS that she had run at superhuman speed for a short distance. She'd been so exhausted by the race, it had been such an arduous journey, that when her friend passed by in her car and offered her a ride, she couldn't resist. And so for a period of the, of the race, traveled at about 50 miles an hour, which is faster than most of the other contestants. Here's then a dose of, a dose of ultra-realism about the church. And I want to share two sides of a story. 
The first is the, the realities of religion in American life today. And it's going to start as a sort of uh, a glass half full and getting less full. Uh, but just in terms of our institutional life. So for the last 30 years, membership in lots of things, including churches, has decreased. The Lutherans, we always like to see how other people are doing. Lutherans have lost about 30%. Uh, the United Church of Christ, uh, close to 40. The Presbyterians, I think, are leading their way at 58% loss in the last 30 years. Where to go, Presbyterians? But because we are wiser, Episcopalians, out of the 20 largest Christian groups in America, are the oldest. We're most mature, in other words. So we are approaching a demographic cliff. And it's not just these mainline Protestant churches. It's happening all across America in people's relationship to organized religion. You may have heard of the nuns, not the ones that wear habits and take religious vows, but the opposite of them, people who have no religious affiliation. In the mid-1990s, that was a small portion of American life, about 10% of the population, and today has grown to a quarter of the population, a rapid growth. And some of them are people that never went to church in the first place. But in one of the more apocalyptic books that I read this week, in preparing for Sunday, The, the Great Dechurching, um, about 16% or 40 million Americans, 16% of the population, have left church in the last 25 years. Now, if you're a silent generation member or a baby boomer, it's just 10 or 15%. But if you're a millennial or Gen Z, about 30% of that generation have no religious affiliation. I'm not a mathematician, but I can just about figure out that things are changing rapidly in America. And I don't want to be Pollyanna about it. For many churches, particularly churches that are smaller than this one across the country, things will change. Religious life as they have known it perhaps may even cease to exist. Certainly the landscape of religious life in America is changing rapidly. That's part of our ultra-realism, if you like. But we're not baptizing children this morning into the institution called the Episcopal Church. Our God would be so small if we were. We're baptizing children this morning into the movement of God in the world, into the story that we believe is the truth that out of death comes life, that following Good Friday is Easter Day, that God makes a way out of no way, that God is active in the lives of God's people inside and well beyond the churches. And our calling is to be attuned and to be enlivened by that living hope, and it has always been the case. For students of church history, or for the history of religion for that matter, we can see that these cycles come and go. Yet we stand on the promises of those patriarchs and matriarchs who heard the call to follow the movement in God in their lives. So why not take a leaf out of a book, a good old Georgian book for inspiration, down in America's Georgia. Has anybody been to America's Georgia? A wonderful part of the world where Habitat for Humanity was founded and birthed. And on Koinonia Farm, where Clarice Jordan and others with him said, we are attempting to offer to the community around us 
that isn't ready for a racially integrated America to offer a demonstration of what that could look like anyway. Those people were not ready to hear that gospel. But Clarence Jordan and others had the courage to step forward anyway to get that sense of the movement of God through their lives present in the community. And I love the description of Cornelia Farm, a demonstration plot for the kingdom of God. How about that for a, a bumper sticker for what it means to live the baptized life? My life, your life, is a demonstration plot for the kingdom of God. If that were how we were to see our lives, what would our life look like to others? So when we take Matthew's gospel this morning, which are, it's always fascinating to be with a group of clergy when they hear the phrase, when two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, I am with you. They say, oh, thank the Lord, because two or three is all I've got this morning. <laughs> it's not an encouragement to take solace in how few or how many people come to church. It's a promise that no matter how many people gather in relationship, in community, being the body of Christ, Christ is with them. But it also means that the sacred doesn't just live inside these walls, but Christ is present with all those people across this metro this week who will be looking for hope in one another, looking for signs of God's grace and love that there God is present. Whether that's in a high-rise where somebody is struggling to live in loneliness or that they're surrounded by people, or it's somebody on the street corner looking for their next meal, when two or three are gathered, God is with them. So we begin a new journey today as we do every time we celebrate the baptized life, asking ourselves, how can I be? How can we be part of the movement of God in the world? And through this church, this incredibly gracious and generous community, we have an opportunity to live out that, to say to one another, how might we be called to be God's demonstration plot in this place and time. And so when you hear at the invitation in this soon to happen, whether we will support these children in their life in Christ, when you have that opportunity to say, we will shake off the dust from your feet and shout it out, for the world needs to hear our answer. Amen.